Well, howdy, partners. Before we get started, we have some very important business to attend to. Hit like and subscribe on your technology devices. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at LaunchpadPod and on our website, LaunchpadPod.com. And I got a very special shout out for a little buckaroo who just started listening. I guess she's my aunt-in-law. My wife's aunt, Nona Ostrove. We were kind of shooting the breeze over Christmas break and she asking about the podcast. And she's like a dyed-in-the-wool sci-fi fan from back in the day, like original Star Trek. Nice. All the Doctor Who's. She knows all the Doctor Who's his names. So we were like kind of nerding out a lot together. And I was like, oh, well, if you're interested in the podcast, check out a couple of these episodes. And she keeps calling me and saying, I just listened to this. I just listened to this. She's going to be excited about this episode because she listened to our last Western episode. Right. Nona, thanks for listening. Today, it's our sequel to the Westerns. This is for a few Westerns more. (laughs) It's Spaghetti Western. All right, welcome to the Launchpad Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Matt. Matt, today, nice cowboy hat, by the way. I got to give you that that credit. You came dressed up. Matt is wearing <laughs> a kerchief. He's got a cowboy hat on. He's got- It's not a kerchief, it's a bandana. Okay, he's got a bandana. He's got a cowboy hat on. He's got chaps on and nothing else, which is kind of weird. But, you know, hey, it's it, I give him props for authenticity. I'm guessing that's what they did. <laughs> I went to a bar the other night and that's what they told me. Was like, <laughs> <laughs> I heard it was a cowboy bar and I went and it worked out. Ruby and I's relationship is such that we'll always shoot each other straight. I don't think either of us is blowing smoke up each other's ass for any reason, despite the lack of pants. <laughs> <laughs> but I walk up and we're outside and he goes, you look silly, Ruby, because I'm walking down the street with a, a bandana on and a hat. And I'm like, I don't believe that. I think I could pull this off. And I've been telling that to everybody that's seen me in this cowboy hat, which is probably more people than should have been the case. But like, I think I could pull it off. I am not one to wear a lot of hats. It's certainly not one to wear like, I, I, I don't know, like like hats that make a statement or specific hats. I'll wear a ball cap or something. But I think I could pull this off. Like not on our Western episode, just freaking going to 7-Eleven. Especially on top of the headphones. That's a good one. <laughs> well, today, we're, it's our second part series. The first one we did was Fistful of Westerns, and we talked about American Westerns. And then today is For a Few Westerns More, and we are talking about my favorite genre of Western, and that is the Italian Western, or the Spaghetti Western. Mamma mia. <laughs> it's a me, Mario. <laughs> it's a me, Sergio. <laughs> this is my favorite genre, and I've watched a shit ton of these. Your favorite genre of Western? Or your... of, of Western. Okay. Of Western. Absolutely. I mean, horror is my, probably my favorite genre, but Italian Westerns, the Spaghetti Western to me is such a fun device and a great subgenre. And I think I've watched so many of these and I have a huge list of films to get through. But let's start with a little bit of knowledge. How about this? So from 1960 to 1978, there were over 600 spaghetti westerns made. Ridiculous, right? That's almost 33 films a year. That like, I know the math breaks down a little weird, but that's almost three films a month. And people are complaining there's too many like superhero films right now. Three films a month back in the day were spaghetti westerns. Italian produced, shot in Spain or Italy westerns. Now, most of those 
those films never made it to America. Mm -hmm. Most of those films never saw the light of day here. But that's a ridiculous amount of production when you think about it, right? Without a doubt. We'll get into it as we explain more about it. But this is what my knowledge before going into it was of these movies, was that they cranked them out. They were certainly, majority of them, done on the cheap. And they were, A, trying to cash in on the American Western cinema that was very popular at the time, or actually was just, I guess, starting to slightly start to wane in popularity. We say spaghetti Westerns because the majority of them came from Italy, but a bunch of them came from other places in Europe. And actually, Italy was not the first place to make the European Western. There was some in Spain, some in Germany that came before. Right. But we in America saw this influx. We're like, not American, they must be Italian. (laughs) Yeah, we lumped it all together into the spaghetti Western. Which Japan calls the macaroni Western. Woo! True. I I like macaroni. That's a fun noodle. So the first Italian Western movie that I found was La Vampira, Indiana, Mm -hmm. 1913. Which means Indiana Jones versus the vampire. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a combination of Western and vampire film, which I love because Italian horror is also a really fun genre. But it was directed by Vincenzo Leone, father of Sergio Leone, who we will talk a lot about. Or I should say, we might hit this guy. (laughs) (laughs) And it starred his mother. She was this Indian princess and it was like a Western vampire movie. I have never seen this, but that sounds like a cool movie, right? Mm -hmm. I'd watch it. 1913 must be a silent like black and white. That sounds like a lot of fun. It's awesome. But so that that's how it started. Then they started making some of these like comedies. There were a lot of like comedy Westerns up through like the 1960s. But the main movie that really kicked off the popularity of this genre came out in 1964, directed by Sergio Leone. Mm-hmm. And it is a fistful of dollars. This is the movie that made Americans stand up and say, oh, hello. Or I should say, buongiorno. <laughs> and specifically to Clint Eastwood, right? Yeah. He was in a couple of things before this, including a television show, a Western television show, Rawhide. Yeah. But this, I think, was his breakout more or less to American audiences, right? This is what made him a star. And this trilogy, the Man With No Name trilogy or the Dollars trilogy, however you want to call it, made Clint Eastwood just a superstar because he was so like gritty and rough. And it's like a big departure from earlier cowboys that we had seen, like John Wayne, um, you know, the, the High Noon where they're really virtuous, he's, he's he's a bandit. Like, he really sure, is. Sure. Yeah, he's a thief. He's a bandit. He's there in the gray area of cowboy films. He's going to kill people. And he's the best guy in the movie, morally, but not a good guy compared to American Western. And I think that's one of the most important differences between what you and I in our last Western episode called the classic American Westerns versus the Italian, the spaghetti Westerns, is you kind of have a lot more ambiguity, moral ambiguity, where especially your main character, not necessarily always a good guy. Right. And not necessarily fighting for what is right. Right. Even in the classic American ones, if you had a main character that was out for revenge, it was a revenge that you can certainly get behind and was, quote unquote, the right thing to do, at least in a certain point of view. A lot of the Italian cinema, the Italian Westerns, your main character might just kill somebody for no reason. Yeah. Or for a personal gain for money or because they were trying to stop what he was doing. A lot of revenge in these movies. A lot, a lot of revenge. And some of it is not necessarily revenge that the average person can justify for a protagonist in a movie. Right. I think another thing that is very important to note is these are Westerns. We're taking, this has taken place a long time ago. We're not taking a ton of baths. It's out in the wild west. There's a ton of dirt. Everyone looks dirty. Yep. But in the European ones, the main character looks the same as the bandits and the the, the thugs that he's going after. There's a lot of like shaving or not shaving is a big deal. All the American cowboys were very clean cut. 
Even though they were dirty, they looked like big, you know, stoic jaws. And right. And if you were Roy Rogers, you had sequins and frills on your, sure. on your cowboy suit. And that suit. was yeah. cool. <laughs> that, that, that was your insignia for being a good guy, right? Right. In this one, it's harder to tell the good guys. I, I just watched a movie, a great movie last night, and it took me a couple of scenes to even understand which I was supposed to identify as the protagonist because they're all dressed the same. They all look dirty. They're all acting in a pretty menacing way. Yeah. They all have five o'clock shadows, if not full out gross beards. Yeah. And you watch the American cinema and it's very easy on mute without never seeing the story and knowing what the plot is. You can tell who the good and the bad guys are. I see you watch spaghetti westerns the same way I watch Godzilla films. Yeah. <laughs> You're like talking, 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 shoot out. Boop. Yeah. You know how you can always tell when it's time to unmute when everybody starts squinting. And yeah, like, that's right. Mm, mm, mm. And that's another thing that happens in these movies. So one thing that happens again in a lot of Italian westerns is we're not in a rush. We're establishing tension. Much like the Italian horror film. Their, Absolutely. Their connection to plot is pretty loose. Like an American film, a hero shows up, he encounters a struggle, he conquers it throughout the movie. In Italian Western movies and Italian horror movies as well, but in Italian Westerns especially, he shows up and he encounters one problem, he defeats it. And in an American movie, that'd be the end of the movie. They're like 10 minutes into the movies, he's fought off these bandits. He shows up to town and, and like new plots are constantly evolving. And you're like, wait, what thread am I supposed to follow? And like, doesn't matter. He's going to shoot people and you won't care. And I think that actually speaks a lot to American audiences, both both then and now. I feel like American cinema is trying to give you the quickest, best package that you will enjoy overall. Whereas foreign films, and in this case, like you said, both horror and cowboy movies, the European cinema is trying to craft a tale in such a way that you will feel the emotions they want you to, right? And certainly in horror, it's suspense and unease and stuff like that. In the Western movies, the Italian Western movies, it's not necessarily that they want you to feel suspense the whole time, but there are definitely suspenseful moments. And I like, I watched a shootout this morning yeah. where the lead in, like once you understand, okay, these guys are going to pull on each other and one of them's going down. It was like eight minutes. Yeah. And the best part, and I'll talk about this specific movie in a bit. The best part was I wasn't looking at my watch. I did, as an American audience, know, like, take note of how long it was taking. But I was enjoying every minute of it because, like you said, we had some good squinting. And the camera, <laughs> we got some extreme close ups. We have a lot of camera movements. Mm -hmm. it, it just crafts this almost like you think of anime. It's composition. Yeah. that You're using your frame, right? Specifically, Fistful of Dollars being so important. This story, you know, Clint Eastwood shows up in a town and basically tricks all these different bandit factions sure. into fighting each other. And basically he does none of the work, which is, you know, working smart, not hard. Right now, one <laughs> person who didn't sit up and say hello, or I should say Konichiwa, instead, he probably sat and went, oh, Chotomate, <laughs> which stands for, wait a minute, because this is my fucking movie. It's Akira Kurosawa. Yeah. Now, this famous Japanese director probably went to this movie and be like, oh, I'll go see a fine Italian cowboy movie. And watched it and went, wait a second, this is Yojimbo, the movie that I made. And it literally is. Fistful of Dollars is almost a exact remake of the samurai movie Yojimbo, which came out three years earlier in 1963. Now, it is such an exact version of this movie that they had to pay Akira Kurosawa money. 
Mm-hmm. They lost the lawsuit. They he called them out for copying as opposed to homage or borrowing. And now a lot of Italian cinema like borrowed from other films without regard for copyright infringement or any of that stuff. And, you know, Sergio Leone basically ripped off Yojimbo and they had to pay him 15% of the international box office, which that's a big deal back in the day that somebody could actually call out another country and be like, you ripped my shit off. And Akira Kurosawa is famously known as saying, he, he congratulated him. He said, mm-hmm. it's a very fine film, but it's my film. And I heard that quote before and I love that too. I think that's pretty funny because I think that's one of those things. If that movie had come over here and made a couple dollars or a few dollars more, but it made a couple dollars and it was like the you know the end of it, it probably wouldn't have been anything. But it started this Italian revolution and it was uh, of cinema in America. But like it started this thing, it got so much you know press, it was such a big deal that I think it was hard not to be like, okay, you kind of gotta help me out with that because actually the whole this whole genre of movies is known for ripping shit off and yeah. reusing, reusing, reusing. But it didn't really matter because it was so low budget and they were like you said so many of them didn't even get here let alone made money or did anything but this one was like kaboom on the scene Mm -hmm. and i don't know how that happened i'd actually really like to see a documentary or hear somebody talk about like why is fistful of dollars the one that stood out as opposed to any other like cheap Italian Western. Clint Eastwood is inarguably the coolest like cowboy. just so fucking cool, right? Yeah. So you have that. You have Sergio Leone directed it, right? Yeah. And his style is so great. But was he Sergio Leone yet? That's what I don't know. You know, I know he had made a bunch of movies and at I think this he, point, but even like, if he was still finding himself, yeah. we as an audience were I think it's the sixties, right? Yeah. So I think we as an audience are open to new experiences. We're open to trying trying new things drugs and sex gotcha in and out of the theater yeah but like i think we're we're ready this movie comes it's a different perspective it's a different showing of a style and a genre that we're used to but with so much fucking flair that i think it made people stand up and take notice and be like wait what that's a cowboy movie now like very violent very stylized Mm -hmm. with a a thread of humor that also runs through it and there were were just so many things that made it more of art than just of telling the the story and one specific thing that ties into all of sergio leone's movies is a neo morricone and this is the guy who makes just the best like the cowboy music if if you hear cowboy music it's probably Ennio Morricone he is the greatest here we go here's a little bit of him he used electric guitars in his mm-hmm. orchestral scores which hadn't really been, hadn't been heard of really yeah. and as well as sound effects right yes exactly whips spurs horses now we're gonna we're gonna listen to him repeatedly throughout this podcast because the music is almost as important as any of these movies and it makes it such an experience when you watch a spaghetti western is the great music that comes with it and a lot of that is all thanks to Ennio Morricone and he recently won the Oscar for Quentin Tarantino's latest Hateful Eight but that's like the feather in a cap of your Italian western yeah if you have him doing the soundtrack it immediately like kicks your film up a better uh, you know another letter grade yeah and I watched two of them in the last 48 hours or so. And it really is. have him in is, your video game. Like, he's incredible. He's an incredible it really, the composer. music becomes a character. It becomes a presence in the film, and it changes it. And there's actually one thing that I read, and I don't have any specific examples to cite, but I, it made me so excited to watch more, is Italian cinema uses music to give cues that are otherwise not given. So, like, they're not visual cues. So they're glad not you in picked up on this. Yeah, I well, think that's super this cool. This is perfect for the next film on the list, which is for a few dollars more. Mm. The sequel, sort of, to A Fistful of Dollars. Now, none of these movies really have anything tied together. The Man With No Name, 
Clint Eastwood isn't like there's no reason he's tied to these three films as a character. Like, I even get the feeling that who he was in the first movie isn't necessarily the same man with no name. The same as two men with no names? Well, because also other characters in these movies show up. Like, for a few dollars more, we meet Lee Van Cleef, who we will talk about, or Lee Van Cleef, call us up, let us know, who is an incredible (laughs) Western actor. I just love the idea of him calling us live. First of all, live. Right? He calls us now while uh, recording it's this. Lee Van Cliff. Now, specifically, Lee Van Cliff is an incredible Western actor. He's been in tons and tons of movies. Yeah. We'll even get to like a handful of his movies that we've watched. But this is the first time we see him in a Sergio Leone film. And doesn't he look like a cat who somehow transformed magically into a human? Without trying to judge him. Yeah. He it's very angular face. Oh man, he's got cheekbones for Good Instagram. Bones, man. Yeah. He's got eyes like a cat. Like I swear to God. Like he like remember we said you know it's it's about to shoot when they're squinting. Yeah. With Lee Van Cleef, you never know when he's going to shoot, which is so <laughs> fucking cool. Also, like he never ages. The top of his head ages. Like his baldness mm-hmm. just gets balder and balder and his old head gets wrinkly and wrinkly. But his face never changes. The cheekbones never change. The eyes never change. I, yeah, that is, you're mustache. right. That is true. Oh, man. But like I watched a bunch of Lee Van Cleef movies, Lee Van Cliff movies, and his head, the top of his head is the only thing that aged in all of them. And like it's fucking cool. What a badass. But I'm he's going, in, by the way, I'm going Cleef. It's too easy together. I'm going Cleef. Okay. Uh, I, I'm down with that. And if he calls in and says we're wrong, I'll just say it's that's the American pronunciation. <laughs> So you specifically mentioned how music was a cue for things you didn't yeah. know. And for a few dollars more is such a great example of this because they have themes. It's almost like an opera. You know the bad guy's coming when you hear this music. You know the good guy's coming when you hear this music. Lee Van Cleef has a musical watch. And it's one of the first times we see a movie where the the object in the film pulls out part of the score. Early in the score, we hear the musical watch play, and that's part of the orchestral piece. Every time he opens this watch, you hear this theme play. When this theme ends, he kills motherfucker. Now, this is woven into the music, but when you realize that the watch actually plays that song, it's pulling it into the real film, which is such a mm. cool thing. And in the end, they're in a church, and they're all going to fucking shoot each other, and he pulls out the watch, and as soon as it ends, they're going to pull guns and play. And this scene is so fucking cool, because you're just waiting for the watch to finish this song and you're like oh man and everybody's staring at each other and everybody's squinting and they're squinting more and their eyes are getting tinier and tinier and the camera's getting closer and closer and then it cuts to the watch cuts to the watch and then he throws it boom and then they all start shooting at each other fucking cool what a fucking cool movie and it you know it it, again these movies are not in a rush. When we watched uh, the classic ones, I talked about how much I love High Noon. And High Noon has a great tension throughout it. But it's a lot different than the scene-by-scene tensions that we're feeling in these movies. And that shit where it's going, you know, cut from guy one to guy two, closer on guy one, closer on guy two, closer on... like, And I've seen shots that are just eyes. So close, it's just eyes. And, like, you get wrapped up in that. And yeah. then... Again, it's like that's one layer. Then you add that music, especially if it's Marconi music. Yes. It just turned like you're just like on the edge of your seat. And you're like, this is incredible. It just is such great style. And he's using weird things like music boxes. What we're listening to now is the theme, like the main theme music from For a Few Dollars More. Mm-hmm. And they're using the jaw harp, the little boing, 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 mm. boing, boing. And like a tiny little flute. Like, how cool. But this movie was proof that Fistful of Dollars wasn't a fluke. Yeah, he ripped off Yojimbo, but this was proof 
or at least I haven't seen the movie that he ripped off here. Maybe it was like some Norwegian film. <laughs> Norwegian like, Jojimbo. Yeah, yeah. So like a few dollars more is a great movie. And I argue it's almost better than A Fistful of Dollars because of the themes that it lays out because of how it does it. And it did it like, like he said, okay, I did a good job here. Here's what I can do with my own story and a different idea and these new characters. And I'm like, fucking cool. This is a great movie. And maybe the, to me, maybe the best of the dollars trilogy, but I think most people disagree because I think most people think the third one, the good, the bad, and the ugly is maybe the quintessential Italian Western. I think for a few dollars more might feel even better because Leone starts to get his feet under him, get the genre, get what he's doing. The first one is when you're kind of feeling stuff out, but then you're like, all right, all right, I got this. Then you make the good, the bad, the ugly, which you're right. Everybody loves except me. You don't like it? I don't know. Like I try to think the last time I watched it was probably five or six years ago. Yeah. And I do every couple years try to give it a shot movies like that that have just the greatest pedigree and everyone loves if they don't work with me i still try them every couple of years just to see if i've grown into them here's what i've come to i think the movie is bloated where i think Mm. a few dollars more is a very lean sure very good well done movie all the way throughout i think the good the bad and the ugly is so epic it's so big Sure. Not his biggest, though. We'll get to that. Yeah. But it's so well done. It's a great movie. I'm not going to take away how good it is, but I think it has some of the best moments, but with some of the worst filler. Okay. I, I wouldn't debate that for sure. There's way too many moments in this movie where I need to mute and walk away and like not pay attention and get some get some work done. But there's lots of moments in this movie where I'm like, yes, this is why this movie's awesome. Like we meet the character, they're about to hang this dude, and somebody has to shoot the rope to drop him and save his ass. Great Western mm. moment. I don't know if that's the first time we've seen it, but we've certainly seen it a shit ton of times Since later. Since then, yeah. It has this amazing scene where they're disguised as Southern soldiers. They're in the gray uniforms, right? And they're they're, they're sneaking across the, the Mexican border and they come across these other guys in gray uniforms. They're like, oh, thank God we found Southern soldiers. And then they realize that they're just dusty and they dust off the uniforms. Right. Like, yeah. Fuck, yeah. They're Northern soldiers. <laughs> We're fucked. Great moment. This incredible scene where they are under this bridge trying to strap dynamite while a battle is happening on the bridge and they're trying to blow up the bridge. Fucking great scene. I love these moments. And then, of course, the ending, which is incredible, where it's this big standoff in this gigantic graveyard while they're searching for this lost gold that's been buried in one of the graves. One of the greatest standoffs ever. I know people call them Mexican standoffs. I was told, why don't you just call them standoffs? They're standoffs. Why, why does it have to be racial? I was like, I, I don't know. I thought that's what it was called. The Italians started that. <laughs> You know what the Japanese call it? (laughs) (laughs) But it's a fucking great standoff. And here again, the music. Mm -hmm. Here, let me hit you with some of this. When I met you at the gate, you whistled this to me. Yeah, I like Ruby was coming up with the dog and I walked out with my fleece duster and my uh, bandana and hat and I and this is the quintessential cowboy song chaps on dong out yeah it was kind of weird yeah like a lasso (laughs) (laughs) when you say what's cowboy song this is the first thing most people say right whether it's a kid or my dad everybody would say this and again here's a Neil Morricone using whistling Mm. for the score it's it's yeah they're like you know most people were like I need 30 violins and and brass section and I need all this stuff and he's like let me get some whistles and an electric guitar right yeah right it's just you know this (laughs) fucking cool dude and this isn't even my favorite song in this soundtrack Mm, okay I'm intrigued my favorite song in this soundtrack is actually 
Ecstasy of Gold, which is what plays while they're all running around searching for the gold and in the final shootout. Well, let us hear it. Yes, I agree with you. I know this song. I mean, now I know what you're talking now, about immediately. Metalheads will know that this is what Metallica plays to the yep. intro to their concert. Fucking awesome. This is just a great song. This is Ecstasy of Gold. It gives me chills. Like, I'm literally getting goosebumps right now. Like, I can, no joke, I can see them. I was going to make a joke about touching them to feel it, but I can see them on your yeah. arms. Goosebumps. This is one of the greatest songs, greatest scores ever. And it's been overused, but come on. pretty cool you guys and this is done while they're all running around this massive graveyard like it's literally a graveyard that you can see off into the distance mm. and I don't know if it's real or a matte painting or where they filmed it I'm sure if I was a good podcaster I would have looked that <laughs> shit up but it's such a cool fucking scene and the way it's cut faster and faster and faster as they get closer to the center of this massive graveyard and then all pull guns on each other and it's this big standoff and this is 66 right so this is the, they're finishing up the trilogy in 66 they started it in 64. Yeah, 64. So can you imagine that, 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 that's wrapping, starting and wrapping up a trilogy within two and a half years? Again, a trilogy it has nothing to do with the other movies. You can watch any of these movies on their own and it has nothing to do with each other. But it's the same Clint Eastwood as a guy with no name wearing a poncho shooting people. Now, just like the Italian horror films, the blood in these movies is red blood. Oh, yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. tempera paint flying out of people. Yeah. But like, I love these movies. And you're right, uh, though Good Man, The Ugly is considered the best. I'm like, you know, look, it has some of the best moments, like we said. But I think what it did is it really just cemented Sergio Leone as being like mm. the best, the master of this craft of spaghetti westerns, of the Italian western, of the badass character. And he went on to make a ton of these movies and these ones were kind of like rip roaring action-packed gunfighter movies right but one that i want to talk about and it's one that you watched is once upon a time in the west and this came out in 1968 not to oversell it it is i just watched it last night for the first time it is absolutely one of my top three favorite cowboy movies now yeah it surpassed everything else that i said the last time we did this it jumped multiple movies because it is just a tour de force. It is incredible. There's so many great things about it. So I real quick looked up a list because I haven't seen, I guess I've seen more Italian Westerns than I thought, but I wanted to try to hit some really important ones. Mm -hmm. I knew you had, you had told me the names of a couple that you had seen and I didn't want to watch too many of those because I wanted to have some other ones so that we could have different views and yeah. different, different tidbits. So I hit this one up because you hadn't mentioned it. And at first I was like, that's the most unassuming kind of boring title that you can come up with like just the most generic title once upon a time in the west even though it's in inspired once upon a time in america which he did and once upon a time in hollywood which yeah 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 but like what do you call your cowboy movie cowboy film like it's just like uh and i'm like it was last night i started this last night it was friggin 9 15 and i had one i meant to watch fistful of dollars and i started i was like wait i've seen this before and recently so i was like all right let me scramble find a different one and i read uh, a review of this one not what it was about but a review and i was like okay I'm in. I saw who was in it. It's two hours and 46 minutes. Long as balls, dude. I was like, fuck. But then I like, I don't know. I was being guided by the spiritual spaghetti ghost of Sergio Leone. Watch my movie. And <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm so happy I watched it. Henry Fonda playing the heavy Frank, a bad guy. You got fucking Charlie Charles Bronson. Bronson. Like, how badass is Charlie Bronson? 100% badass. And he is the smirky, reserved, I know how fucking cool I am. I don't even have to show you. I don't even have to play the harmonica correctly. I can fucking <laughs> he just plays, rock this shit. His character is called Harmonica. Yeah, he's, his name's Harmonica. And there's a lot of movies where their character is just named the instrument that they had. And that actually around. is a trope of spaghetti westerns. Yeah. Is the names are kind of weird. Ringo, Django, Harmonica. Mando. Cheyenne. <laughs> Mando. Mando. Oh, we'll get to that. Stony, shaky. They're all weird names like that. Yeah. But Harmonica, he's, he's this guy who carries around Harmonica, but like when he plays it, you know bad stuff's about to happen, but like he doesn't play it. He holds it like an inch from his mouth and just kind of moves it back and forth. And, and the they just sound like put doesn't the music sound in. like it's coming from the sound, from the, from the, the source sound. It sounds like it's part of the soundtrack. And it is. There's one or two times where the exact same noise happens when he does not have the harmonica in his mouth. Oh, love it. It's like haunting. Just imagine Charlie Bronson rubbing a harmonica across his lips. Ooh, so cool. <laughs> and it's funny because the harmonica, the first time you see it, doesn't even read as a harmonica. It kind of looks like a, a knife a little bit. Yeah, you're like, like right. is he licking his knife? What's going on here? This movie opens with a very long, very drawn long. out, yes. but very tense scene of what are clearly heavies, like in duster jackets. They call them dusters. They, they're, they're, their characters are never named, but they call them dusters. They walk up to a train station, gently, you know, clearly like the, the train station cashier guy is like, oh, you're here. You're here to buy tickets. And he knows something's weird. They gently but forcefully throw him in a closet yeah. and then wait. And you wait with them. Now, this is a movie that is like film school classic. Like I watched this at Emerson in film class when we were talking about sound engineering. Mm. Because again, the score with the Neil Morricone. The sound engineering though is like every boot step they take, cling, cling, every board they step on, creak, creak, while they're waiting. The clock ticks, mm -hmm. the windmill turns, the flies buzz, and it all starts becoming this rhythmic tension builder to show time moving along. And it's wild because it's a cool scene, but there is a moment where if if you're bored or like you, you think about it saying you're like, why are we taking so much time for this? What is happening? Well, I was, I was, I'll tell you, I was in, this was, like I said, it's 9.15, 9.30 at night. It draws now, you in. And you're waiting. And actually while doing some research after the fact, if you go to, there's a website called nofilmschool.com. They have a, a, a page that's the seven trademarks of Sergio Leone. If you go to that, there's a really cool 20 minute video about that scene and all the things. Just that scene? Yes. Ooh. And all the, well, that scene and then the, the, the next scene or so, but it's, it's all the things things that make Sergio Leone movies that and this scene has them you have actors popping they call it popping in the scenes where either they come from the bottom of the frame or they walk in yeah you have a ton of close-ups but then also a ton of wide shots super wide and that makes you that that does things to you while you're watching it it draws your attention in certain places it also makes you feel either attached or detached from what, what's happening there's a lot of surprises where something boom whether it's action or not something surprises you and you weren't ready for it Sometimes it's even the composition of a shot. There's a ton of suspense. There's a ton of music, which we talk about. Then there's fucking great dialogue. Can I hit you with some dialogue? Hit me with some dialogue, Rumi. So there, these three guys, clearly bad guys, are waiting. Yep. Train pulls up. They're looking in the train. They're waiting. They're waiting. They're waiting. The train pulls away. Yeah. There's a guy on the opposite side of the tracks. You know it's Charlie Bronson by his voice. And he goes, Frank. And one of the three guys goes, Frank sent us. And harmonica, Charles Bronson goes, did you bring a horse for me? And one of the guys moves over and you see they have 
three horses. So three horses, three guys. They're not supposed to take him anywhere. One of the guys goes, well, looks like we're one horse short. Harmonica shakes his head and goes, you brought two too many. <laughs> then there's a baller shootout where he shoots two of them. The third guy and him fire at the same time and they both go down. And it takes a second for Harmonica to get back up. So you're like, wait, was this the inciting incident that starts the rest of the movie or what? Then Harmonica shakily gets to his feet and he's got a bullet wound in his shoulder that has, it looks like someone just took red pen and circled it. There's no other blood. Yeah. But like you watch the shootout and right away you see that this guy is badass, but not badass enough to not get not shot. Not get shot. The first thing he does in the movie. But that dialogue, I was like, fuck it, man. I am in. He goes to this town and the plot starts unfolding. He meets this girl. He is sitting in a saloon. This other guy walks in who you think is a heavy, but through the storytelling, you find out he's actually a misunderstood character and becomes this part of this triangle. I mean, he is a bounty, right? He's like a bad dude. He's a bad dude, but they're chasing him because of something that Henry Fonda did. Yeah, and he's going to help them figure it out. This is the cool thing, though. It's like, you get weird alliances. Good, bad, and the ugly. Mm -hmm. None of them should be working together, but they're all sort of helping each other when it benefits them. And betrayal becomes a big force. I can't think of one that I've seen that doesn't have betrayal in it. Well, think about a movie that we talked about in our last episode, The Wild Bunch. Mm -hmm. How the themes and the plots of The Wild Bunch are almost all represented in every single spaghetti western. Mm. And it's like getting money for the Mexican revolution betraying your bandit friends yeah you know the shootouts the the complication of all that gray area stuff and once upon a time in the west where the other three movies that he did were these sort of really cool but kind of action-packed sort of things this is more epic and it's grander and it's bigger and the scope of it is huge and the character building and i said like can i can i do one more thing of dialogue yeah it's so fucking good you want to do it together okay all right you want to be harmonica or cheyenne i absolutely want to be harmonica say it with a smirk we're introduced to this cheyenne as the the character who we think is going to be a bad guy he's mentioning the dusters Mm -hmm. that the guys who picked harmonica or were going to pick harmonica up at the train station were wearing i saw three of these dusters a short time ago they were waiting for a train inside the dusters there were three men so inside the men there were three bullets That's a crazy story, Harmonica, for two reasons. One, nobody around these parts got the guts to wear those dusters except Cheyenne's men. Two, Cheyenne's men don't get killed. That surprise you? Yeah, well, you know music, and you can count all the way up to two. And then I spin my revolver (laughs) all the way up to six if I have to, and maybe faster than you. Which I think is just so fucking cool. He looks right at where he got shot when he Mm -hmm. says that, and it's like, ooh, oh man, it it is really cool. They're so badass. The way it's done is- Some great, I mean, so this is one of those movies, and I think when you look at the scope of spaghetti westerns, the beginning, they start to be very stylized. Then there's a period where they're, in general, very violent very bloody a lot mm-hmm. of action then they start to get a little bit more refined where they're not really in general relying on that violence and action right this is the best example that i could find of that i got one more i have one that's even bigger a movie yeah sergio leone wasn't done yet dude mm-hmm. he did a movie that nobody has seen i've seen called it. once upon a time more it's actually called a fistful of dynamite but was later renamed Duck You Sucker. Yes. Now, this movie, 1971, he didn't want to direct this movie. He actually was like, okay, I wrote it. It was going to be part of the Dollars trilogy, but Clint Eastwood's done. He's doing his own thing now. He's actually directing his own Westerns. What year is this? 1971. Okay. And this movie, Duck You Sucker, Fistful of Dynamite, is so big. I'm talking thousands of extras. I'm talking massive set pieces, huge train sequences, just armored car sequences, like a tank, basically. I'll read the brief plot. At the beginning of the 1913 
Mexican Revolution. Very often a plot in yep, Spaghetti Westerns. Very big. A greedy bandit, Juan Miranda, and the idealist John H. Mallory, who is a Irish guy, an Irish Republican Army explosive expert, so IRA bomb maker, sure. on the lamb from the British, fall in with a band of revolutionaries plotting to strike National Bank when it turns out that the government has been using the bank as a hiding place for illegally detained political prisoners who are freed by the blast. Miranda becomes a revolutionary hero against his will. So it's basically this bandit who's kind of like, I'm just in it for me and the money ends up becoming like a revolutionary hero because of these actions. And he and um, this this IRA explosive guy like just blow shit up all across Mexico. Mm -hmm. I think this movie originally had like a six hour cut because here's the thing. Sergio Leone started making movies. Uh, have you ever heard Once Upon a Time in America? It's like this yeah. great, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like a Jewish gangster movie. Yeah. De Niro's in De Niro's it. In it. Yeah. yeah. That movie was originally eight hours long and they wouldn't let him break it into three films so they cut it down to like a three hour epic that must have been heartbreaking to him can you imagine when i watch it he could have cut it down probably an hour longer. but like that was i know you think that but that, that was his baby and eight hours to three eight hours hours to three that's hours. cutting more than half duck you sucker is the same thing and the reason it is so hard to see this movie is because basically it was probably six hours long and then they cut it down to three and then america's like no we only want one of those hours or maybe even one and a half mm. so it's so butchered and there's lots of versions of it there's like one version where they fo really focus on the IRA guys like Love Triangle in the past you say version, like different edits you mean completely different edits yeah and there's lots of different edits of this and like even the director's version has a lot of like caveats to it so it's hard to find a movie a version of this movie that feels complete have you seen it or you just heard about it I have seen it I rented it early Netflix you could rent it from their DVD that was like a thousand years ago I know when you could physical still get media physical media but there's a great scene where like he shows up on a motorcycle and he opens his trench coat and it's full of dynamite and he's throwing it at people lots of explosion but like I said thousands of extras the scope you say a motorcycle on a motorcycle yeah All right. uh, it, it, this is again this is this takes place kind of at the in the era of uh, the wild bunch when they were branching the end mm -hmm. of the cowboy with the beginning of modern technology which is another thing that happens often at the later end of the spaghetti western like yeah. time frame the movies start to talk about and focus on the decline of the American Western cowboy or at yeah. least, you know, that that style of life. And it starts to show all the things that started to break up that idealistic cowboy life, which is very interesting because almost, you know, almost like meta, it kind of also was talking about the decline of the cinema, yeah. both American classic cinema, uh, Western cinema, but also the spaghetti Western cinema. Like it, it was almost like a love song to itself while it died, which is, I guess it sounds really morbid when you put it that way, but it's really interesting to watch because a movie about something like that is also about the decline of the, the genre. The genre. And this is the last Western that Sergio Leone did. And it's, I think it's really overlooked because the scope of Once Upon a Time in the West is amazing. This is the scope with just such massive battles. And it's, I, I can't say it's good because mm -hmm. it certainly has a lot of filler. But again, when you're pausing it and you're just waiting for the Godzilla scene or you're waiting for guys to squint, when you unmute it and you're watching it and you're like, holy shit, the amount of work that went into making this scene, orchestrate a giant train wreck, massive chase scenes, these huge battle moments. Like you don't see that a lot in Westerns and it's really cool to see it here. So if you, it, It's on Amazon. You can rent it. But Duck You Sucker or Fistful of Dynamite is worth it if you are, I'm on board with Sergio Leone. I'm into what he's doing. 
and you want to be you want to see it all i cannot recommend this more mm. if you're a casual like hey i like the dollars trilogy but eh, i don't know if spaghetti westerns are, are for me you'll be bored as shit with this movie do you have one that is good for like the casual person like maybe one of our listeners hasn't really watched a lot of spaghetti westerns what's an accessible one aside from the trilogy the dollars trilogy i have one that we can get to mm-hmm. but it's called the great silence and that one to me is more of just a good movie mm. like a bigger picture good movie but we'll get to it in a second the problem okay. with it is it's massively depressing yeah oh yeah for sure <laughs> so because we mentioned him i want to briefly and you probably have a little more to say about this but lee van cleef before mm. we get too far away from the sweet sergio leone films lee van cleef was such a big star in his own right and he was in a ton of movies as the star you know him even if you don't know him by his name if you look up lee van cleef you'll be like oh that guy i guarantee you he looks like a cat transformed but i'm going to mention a couple movies and we'll talk to him uh day of anger death rides a horse and then sabata trilogy Trilogy. now i saw sabata very recently the the first one and then the second one adio sabata yule brenner is sabata and then the third one uh return of sabata lee van cleef comes back the third one is terrible Mm. like it's a comedy it's like hee hee boo 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 terribly stupid do you mean it was literally a comedy yes like like they went they went comedy action western because that's another thing that happened later in spaghetti westerns is they started getting silly. like i mentioned earlier in our episode that these movies often have like a dark comedy type of streak to yeah. them but some of them towards the end of this genre's popularity they started to be out and out comedies like that was the goal was yeah. to be a comedy and and this one is like an action comedy like it's it, here's the theme from sabata the third one's like an action comedy and it's like kind of like what happened when you know evil dead's this great horror movie and then evil dead 2's like slapstick yeah and then army of darkness doubled down on the slapstick I have not seen the Yule Brenner one, but Yule Brenner in his own right was in a bunch of cowboy movies and Magnificent Seven, right? Mm-hmm. So I haven't seen that one, but I did watch Sabata and you watched Day of Anger. I did. What'd you think of Day of Anger? It was great. It was great. Great movie. Lee Van Cleef does such a great job because that movie opens with what you would call a little dirt boy, like a, a young man. <laughs> <laughs> I would call that guy you a were. little dirt child. That's a callback to one of our Christmas episodes where we talk about music. He's literally carrying buckets of shit. Like his job is just to clean up. He almost seems like the like a the dimwit you know town fool that they just pay to do odd jobs and Lee Lee Van Cleef rolls into town and he clearly is like a badass gunfighter and he starts talking to this kid and he's I say kid but the kid's old he's got to be our age yeah he says to him hey go bring my horse to the barn I'll give you a buck and he does it and the kid's all excited he comes back to Lee Van Cleef. Lee Van Cleef is going to buy him a drink, and the people of town hate this kid. We've seen this in the in the opening scenes. Oh yeah, he's like a he's like a little waif. They like, just teach yeah. they they treat him like a piece of shit, and Lee Van Cleef is like, "Hey, knock it off!" And he like defends him. So the kid's like, "Hey, thanks, man." They start to like develop this relationship where he's like, "Hey, rule number one: don't ever beg from a man." And he starts to take him under his wing, and immediately gets into one or two shootouts where someone else gives Lee Van Cleef shit. Lee Van Cleef kills one or two guys two or three times in self defense. Yep. There's a quick trial, a scene of a quick trial where they 
say we can't do anything. It was clearly self-defense. There were witnesses and everything. The dirt boy starts to become like a better gunfighter under this guy's wing. Towards the end, we start to see Lee Van Cleef doing some, like we said before, ambiguously, morally ambiguously shit where you're like, wait, is he a good guy or is the kid being duped? Yeah. And then this old guy who used to be friends with the young kid is like, listen, I had to fucking get this guy out of a town once. He is bad news and you're getting duped. He's setting you up to do either his killing for him or eventually take, take a blame. bullet for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the kid's like, no, no, no. This just keeps happening, building, building. It's so good. One of my favorite themes in movies, and I think it's one that isn't explored well, mm. is bad male role models. Oh, that's actually a cool... We should do an episode about that. That's a good idea. Because I've worked for people who you're looking at, it's like, I'm kind of following this guy. He's my boss, but he's kind of a piece of shit. Right. And I don't really have a choice because he's paying my my paycheck, mm. but I, I'm not old enough or mature enough to know how to navigate this in a way to get out. Mm. Or and, and this is just, I'm talking like VFX business, like, you know, he, he he's not paying people right, things, stuff like that. Like that's, that's completely different than a guy who shoots people for a living. Right. But I love that theme because it really... Really, like, really makes you think about, you know, if you're a young guy and you're like, this guy's cool and he's showing me a good time and he's teaching me things and, and my life is getting better because of it. But then when you start realizing, yeah, but he's a piece of shit, like, how does that steer your life? And it's very interesting to see those moments. Mm. Like, hey, this guy's teaching me cool stuff. I get to wear a mask. I get to fight crime. But we're vigilantes and we're beating the shit out of people. Right. Like, I love that. And concept. putting me in danger. And right? putting, me, putting in me in danger. danger. And I love those concepts and I love those ideas. And I think they're really cool and they're done right. And Day of Anger is one of the best versions of the bounty hunter trainee having those dilemmas. And it's a cool movie on top of that. These like Day of Anger and Death Rides a Horse also have some of the coolest fucking posters you will ever see. I was going to mention that when you were talking about Duck You Sucker. Yeah. Because that poster looks amazing. And I think that touches upon another thing that's also a 60s thing in yeah. film in general. The art is, is baller. Well, just not that, but exploitation. I yes. feel like this art is very exploitive. And I think that's a nature of the film. Yeah. I mean, worldwide, but certainly in this genre, as well as American film at the time, we were starting to hit that. And I think some of Spaghetti Western is a little bit exploitive. It's hitting that that gross stuff. It's hitting that underbelly Sex, violence. Stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always a little bit. It's, it's, it's a little salacious for sure. Actually, salacious is a good word because I, we, there's a really nice looking young woman in Once Upon a Time in the West and I was watching it and I was like, like there's a scene of her in the bath and some other stuff. You don't see anything. It's very tame by today's standards. But I remember thinking like, have I seen anything in the classic Westerns that we had talked about that was even close to that? And I was like, no. And this woman is like an older, she was a prostitute. The guy is talking about prostitutes that. prostitutes in these movies. But the guy is talking about that. They're talking yeah. about having their way with each other and shit just openly and I was yeah. like that's not part of the American no. classic westerns I will say like these movies don't age well on the way they treat women a lot of westerns don't like a lot yeah, of like, I feel a lot of media doesn't right True. books but movies specifically TV shows. like good and bad and the ugly when we meet Lee Van Cliff he's slapping a chick just straight up backhands the shit out of sure her. yeah yeah. and yeah, you're yeah. like oh I guess that's why he's the bad yeah I guess he's the bad yeah but so okay. but still that there's movies where he's the good and he's still slapping the shit out of chicks like these movies are very misogynistic in a way and it just depends on how you come at it, but they don't age well for that right. So Sabata is another Lee Van Cleef movie where he plays the titular character Sabata, shows up in town, and this movie has this starts with this fucking baller like bank robbery where he's in this casino doing some cool like dice shit where like he realizes the game's loaded so he's shooting the dice and everybody's like whoa and <laughs> outside these bad guys burst in they're soldiers they're dressed as soldiers they're throwing knives at dudes killing guys everywhere with knives like whoosh, whoosh, 
throwing them with knives. Then they roll up, they bust into the bank, they tie a rope around the safe and just yank it out of the wall, put it on their wagon and drive away. And this whole movie is Zabata, this drunk Mexican guy who used to be like a soldier, but he's like, what good are medals if they can't buy me respect? You know, they're not worth anything. A mute Native American man who is a gymnast. Everywhere you go in this movie, there's a trampoline hidden behind a stack of hay that this guy can jump onto and then like- Like Jim Cotta style? Yeah, Jim Cotta style, man. They're fighting the bad guys, whatever that is. There's a gunslinger named Banjo who, surprise, mm-hmm. has a banjo with a gun built into it. So he right. can, boop, boop, boop. Mariachi style, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. They're basically just back and forth with this super effeminate bad guy uh, who's like, teehee, I love the duel. And he's always shooting guys in duels and, and has this like room full of guns. It's Sabata and Banjo keep basically collecting the bounties on each other and the money keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you're just waiting for who's going to have the most money at the end. It's a fun movie. Almost silly, though, how acrobatic and how action-packed it is. What year was this one, did you say? 1969. It's a fun movie, but it's bordering on silly. I'm on board. You should check it out. <laughs> yeah. You should watch this first about I think, I'm pretty sure it's on Amazon. This thing, actually, and not to just point out Italian cinema, but this one, just like when we did back in the day, we did our Italian horror episode, this is one of those things that I knew more than I thought I did going into it. But as I did more research and watched more things for the show, the next like two, three weeks, like I know I will now be watching these movies for the next couple weeks because they're so friggin cool they're so friggin interesting they really are if you guys haven't if you guys haven't tried it watch one of the movies we talked about in the last western episode the classic american one and watch an episode watch a movie that we talk about in this episode and see if you can see the differences that we're talking about because it really is even if you're not necessarily a fan of either genre it really is a pretty cool thing to kind of see the difference in how those films how they're made and the stories are crafted now sergio leone obviously was one of the biggest one he didn't direct all these lee van cleef movies like day of Anger. Day of Anger was Tonio Valeri. Sergio Leone didn't direct all of these. He directed the most notable ones, but another director who directed a ton of really big ones was another Sergio. Sergio Corbucci. Often called the other Sergio. The no, other Sergio. For real, that, I read that <laughs> multiple places. He was often called the other Sergio. So he did a bunch of really good ones. Django, which we'll talk about in mm-hmm. a second, but he did this movie called The Great Silence. And this is the one that I mentioned as like, this is just a good fucking movie. And it's so unique. It's one of the most unique Westerns that will be on our list and I cannot recommend it more. This is The Great Silence 1968 directed by Sergio Corbucci. He had done all these Django movies and he did this movie and what makes this one so unique is it completely takes place in the winter under like three feet of snow. Which is amazing because visually you're you're distinguishing yourself from any of these other films just right out of the gate without saying anything else. And I was recommended this by a guy named Andrew Valentine. I met him at work. He works on the makeup effects team. He was wearing a duck you sucker shirt and I was like fucking hey. Damn. Oh man, deep dive. And he's like, and he was, you know, what movies do you like? And he's like, you should watch The Great Silence. It's a Western that takes place in the winter. And I was like, done. Watched it. So big shout out to Andrew Valentine. Thank you so much for this recommendation. It stars a a couple of different people, but the one that you guys will know is Klaus Kinski, Mm. who is most notably the guy who is on all the Werner Herzog movies. And this guy is a bounty hunter. And it's a town where the banker, the guy who owns most of the money in the town, is starving the people who live there. And they're turning into kind of bandits. They're stealing from him and they're stealing from um, people who come into the town. And he has hired bounty hunters to come and kill the townsfolks who are stealing because they're starving. And this dude shows up into town 
named Silence. And Silence had his throat slit as a child, mm. and he doesn't ever say a word. But he is. Do we see that in a flashback, or we're told yeah, that? Yeah, we see him in a flashback because Klaus Kinski and his gang shows up and kills his parents, and they slit his throat as a child. Dang. And then he shows up, and he shows walks into town, and this woman who, um, she's a black woman, her husband is murdered, and she hires Silence for revenge. And he's like, okay, I'll do it, because I want revenge on this, on this banker, and I want revenge on Klaus Kinski. And Klaus Kinski is such a cool bad guy in this movie you know he, he he's smarmy he's suave and just slimy the whole time and the crazy thing about this movie spoiler alert okay guys so if you don't want to hear this skip right, ahead yeah, 30 yeah. seconds this is a big a big reveal so okay guys we're gonna wait 30 seconds just perfect timing so when they skip ahead they hear everybody dies at the end all the good guys show up to fight the bad guys the bad guys capture all the townsfolk tie them up in a bar and silence and the woman show up to, to shoot out the grand shootout you're like okay he's gonna kill the bad guy here he's gonna win the day and save the townsfolk they immediately start by massacring the people they're all tied up in the bar and they just all get shot just mowed the fuck down you're like wait that wasn't supposed to happen and then silence shows up and he's like he i mean he doesn't say anything because his throat's slit and he goes to shoot and they shoot him in the hands and he's bleeding in the street still trying to fight and they shoot him just shoot him in the face and then the woman tries to protect him the woman who hired him and they shoot her and then klaus kinski and all the people just all the bad guys get on their horse and laugh and spit on them and and walk away in the snow and now this movie was not released here until 2001, right? Yeah. Because it was so fucking violent that it was one of those movies that the studios, even not the American studios, yeah. they um, they made them have a happy ending version of it. Yeah. And it was like, you know, over they oh, overseas, that's what it was like for the longest time. And then it recently was, uh, or I guess 20th Century Fox got the rights to it and they fixed it. They fixed it and then released it over here in 2001. Yeah. And it's incredible. It's in, an incredible movie. It's really well done, but fucking depressing. Holy yeah. shit, dude. Like, but it, it was meant to be like, look, the, the bad guys often won in the West. Right. Like, good guys and the Valor didn't count for much. Like, if you didn't draw fast enough, you got killed. And how many Westerns that did we watch where it ends just like this, but the good guy wins? Mm -hmm. And it's like, I was left stunned by this. This was like the ending of Night of the Living Dead, where the, the good guy dies. Right, right. Well, because there's also like, and you said it before, I think you call it the failed hero, mm -hmm. where like, the guy dies, but accomplishes what he's trying to do. Right. Or at least it's a symbolic death. Yes. This sounds like almost like the, a waste, it's right? It's a waste. 300, they all die, but everybody else rallies to their cause. Right, right, right. Nothing. This, like, like what you're saying this and, and also you're right Night of the Living Dead that's like for nothing for that nothing. happened for nothing so at the end the movie's like they put a they put a plaque up to this massacre and you're like a plaque that's it that's all you get there's no justice and mm. that's fucking haunting and this movie's great but watching this also I'm like oh hateful eight there you are uh, we could do a whole episode about how I feel about Tarantino but his shit used to be so awesome and oh. pay homage to stuff my wife this morning was like you he went from being your favorite to director and now you just can't even I will do anything not to hear him give a speech at an award oh ceremony. i'm in the same boat as you but like do you remember like before we went to college like when we were in high school oh boner his stuff you just watch it non-stop because he was like this great filmmaker now he's just like a fucking rip-off artist and he just does whatever he wants and everyone loves it and it's like uh hatefully i watched that movie and like part of me was like there's a 16 year old with a massive film boner right now and there's a 36 year old who's like and then after seeing Great Silence, it was even more like, oh, like you retroactively were like, ah. uh, Sergio Cabucci. This wasn't the movie that he's most famous for. This is like you said, was kind of almost buried because it was so yeah. controversial. Fucking good movie, though. Everybody should watch this movie. The movie he's known for is. Django. 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 
Now, this movie is, as you probably know, a prequel to Attack of the Clones. It is about <laughs> one of the stupidest bounty hunters in the world who then fathers one of the greatest bounty hunters in the world. Oh, my God. Django, man. This music is amazing. This is Luis Bakalov. But this is probably my favorite song. Maybe not like the greatest oeuvre that Ennio Morricone, <laughs> but like, come on, Django, Mando. <laughs> this is Django. And they have made probably 60 Django movies. None of them are interconnected. But this is Caesar Nero, who he could join the Handsome Boy Club. Let me tell you. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've heard you call someone else who's not us a handsome boy. Uh, Caesar Nero has a very handsome guy. So let me, well. let me read this. Django, a coffin-dranging gunslinger and a half-breed prostitute become embroiled in a bitter feud between merciless mass clan and a band of Mexican revolutionaries. Uh, fucking baller. Now, Rumi, you get three guesses to what's inside the coffin. I'm going to say a body. Good guess, though. Second guess. Not a body. A prisoner? Is that the same thing as a body? I mean, it's a live body. Yeah. Wrong. Uh, I'm going to say a baller weapon. A motherfucking Gatling gun! Uh, that's, this isn't the first Django movie? This is the first Django okay. movie. Not the Quentin Tarantino one. <laughs> Well, not that, but there's also, like you said, there's a ton of sequels. There's a ton of them, but this is the first and one. And one of them is called Django Drags a Coffin or Django Pulls a Coffin or something. Uh, uh, they, they, they have a ton of... Again... With as with Italian horror movies, they have weird names depending on where you are. Ducky suckers, oh, yeah, yeah. fistful of dynamite, okay. kill Django, kill. This is the first one though, and it stars Ciro Nero. It's directed by uh, Sergio Corbucci, and he drags a coffin that has a motherfucking Gatling gun in it, and he just whips it out every now and then to just lay waste yeah, to red hooded clan members or Mexican revolutionaries. And it's a fucking cool movie. Holy shit, what a cool movie! I like this movie a lot. If you can't tell, <laughs> you know weird plots all over the place. It, you know, he doesn't know if he wants revenge or money. And he bounces back and forth between both. He and this prostitute kind of go into this plot together to rob everybody and kill the bad guys. This has a great fucking shootout. I thought he was going to die in where he goes to this graveyard. This is the end of the movie. Spoiler alert. Here's the end of the movie, you guys. <laughs> uh, he's he's in this graveyard. Both his hands are shot and he's leaning against this gravestone and the Ku Klux Klan bad guys are showing up and he he's pulling off the, the trigger guard with his fucking teeth and he's you know breaking his teeth and he leans the gun against the gravestone because both his hands are fucked up and he just leans into the gun pop 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 and kills them all that way and I'm like what a pimp this guy's so cool this is another one of those ones that I feel is super violent and bloody yeah but it balances it with the artistic aspects of the spaghetti cinema that we're talking about it's just a really slick movie now some of the sequels are cool and here's the thing this guy Frank Nero he's in the first one and then he comes back again for a couple others later but I'm like I don't know if any of them are connected in any way shape or form but they're cool movies and a couple of them are worth watching and some of them are complete dog shit. Mm -hmm. But the first one is absolutely where to start. If you want to dive into a Django movie, that's where you go. I watched a bunch of Franco Nero movies, though. Also directed by Sergio Carbucci. He made a movie called The Mercenary and then the follow-up Compañeros, which are basically, again, like a sequel that's a remake, mm -hmm. but different enough that it's cool. And this is where you have a guy buried up to his neck in the sand. Yeah. And they're going to trample yeah, him yeah. or like have him get bit by scorpions or whatever. But The Mercenary is awesome because it starts with you got Franco Nero and he's at this bullfight and he's like look at him a clown he used to be like the leader of the revolution now he's a clown and you're watching these this guy dressed as a clown at a rodeo and jack palance is in this movie as curly and he's kind of this weird effeminate the legend bad guy. Of curly's gold yeah it's it's ridiculous franco nero he goes down to help mexican revolutionaries rob a bank he teaches them how to use gatling guns the whole way he's teaching this guy how to be a better revolutionary big gatling gun shootouts everywhere he goes coffins being, everywhere yeah 
they're being chased by Jack Palance and the army, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. And at the end of the movie, it comes back to the beginning where he's at this this thing, and there's a fucking rodeo clown shootout where Jack Palance and a guy dresses a rodeo clown, and and Caesar Nero's like, we have to end this here, and he throws the guns out in the sand, makes them take their paces, and he's like, you have to shoot each other, you have to do it, and they shoot each other, and the clown goes down, and like, fuck, the hero died, but Jack Palance laughing, he's like, ha ha ha, you missed. And he looks down, he has this flower and he shot him right through the flower and it starts bleeding blood like a clown joke. And the other guy gets up and he lives like he got shot through the arm. So he's okay. But he survived and he shot Jack Blance right through the fucking flower dressed as a fucking clown. But that's not the end of the movie. They go down being chased by the military. And there's this moment where they're cornered and all the other revolutionaries let loose the sheep that are nearby. Mm -hmm. And it's just a stampede of fucking sheep and horses are getting knocked over. Dudes are getting trampled by sheep. And you're like, they didn't orchestrate this as a stunt. They literally just were stampeded a bunch of sheep and we're like, we'll film it. Nobody get killed. Okay. It's like, what the fuck? Sounds bad. (laughs) I couldn't help. More like badass. But the mercenary is really cool. And Compañeros is uh, is also good, but I think it's one of those things that's like lock, stock, and two smoking barrels versus snatch. It's like, well, which one did you see first? You'll like mm, that one more. Yeah, They're okay. both really fucking good. I, I like Mercenaries a lot. Uh, also, the Mercenaries has a bitchin' fucking sound track by Ennio Morcone. Cool whistle, huh? He was he had years of being a good whistler. It definitely did. Like that was your your stamp of, of like a quality seal of approval, right? Yeah. If you had a Neil Morricone, you were doing good job. So yeah, those are cool movies by Sergio Corbucci. But Franco Nero was in a bunch of movies, and since we've been crossing over with Italian horror and Italian westerns, you know Lucio Fulci. I do know him. He's done some badass horror movies, right? He has. Well, did you know before he did horror movies, he did Western movies? Should I pretend like I didn't? <laughs> I mean, I think the average person doesn't know that. But us being cool cinephiles, we we know that. I hate that term, by the way. It makes you sound like one one uh, prefix away from being a pedophile. Well, I don't say that. That's why. So <laughs> you can call yourself any stupid bullshit you want. He did a couple Westerns, but two that I want to bring up are The Brute and the Beast and Four for the Apocalypse. Mm -hmm. And The Brute and the Beast stars Caesar Nero hot off of the Django train. And it's a pretty fun Western. It is also called Massacre Time, which is a much better title. Massacre Time sounds like a children's horror themed TV show. (laughs) Come on down to Massacre Time. We're going to kill all the people with lots of knives. Massacre Time. Oh, hey kids, it's me, Master Time. I am Hockey Mask Bill. Ready yeah, to- I think that's great. I'd watch that show. <laughs> I wouldn't let my kids watch that show, but I watch that show. But Brute and the Beast or Massacre Time is a cool Western, has a lot of fun acrobatics in it. When I saw it, it had the first time I'd seen a guy in a wagon while the wagon's moving, everybody's shooting at him and he's shooting out of the wagon. And then we watched Mandalorian and that happened in the third episode. Uh, I was like, whoa, did you just pull a Lucio Fulci Massacre Time reference out of your ass? That's fucking cool. It's a really fun movie. He's got the drunk brother or, or, or somehow a relative who like, it's like his spinach is tequila and every time he gets drunk he can shoot like a motherfucker Mm -hmm. it's a fun movie it's worth watching it's on youtube for free if you guys want to watch the brute and the beast or massacre time by lucio fulci 
But the other one that that he did, War for the Apocalypse, is not very fun. It's pretty gnarly and fucking sadistic. And it starts where this gambler, a prostitute, a crazy guy, and a drunk show up in this town and they're all in jail together. And that night, the townsfolk rise up and kill everybody in the gambling house at the saloon. They put on masks and murder everybody. And it's a pretty gnarly ass scene. And then the sheriff's like, okay, you guys were in jail, so you don't get hung too and murdered. I'm going to let you go. So they escape and they start getting tracked by this bandit who looks like Johnny Depp from the Pirates movie. I kid you not. <laughs> looks exactly Does he walk like, like that too? He acts exactly like it. Like you watch it and you're like, Johnny Depp, are you in this movie? He's got the bandana. He's got the one braid. Did Tim Burton direct this? Because then it was definitely Johnny Depp. No, it's Depp. Lucio Fulci. <laughs> but this guy like teams up with them, but then like drugs them with peyote and they trip balls and then he like tortures them, rapes them. Everywhere they go, he's torturing, raping and killing people. And it's basically this like they have to stop this guy from continuing what he's doing and he's like a bad dude it's not a pleasant movie he's chasing them though he first joins up with them drugs them rapes them tortures them leaves them and then goes on this like rampage throughout the the countryside and they're like we need to follow Mm. him and stop him and it's not a pleasant movie like i didn't enjoy watching this because like it kept having these scenes where like stop torture time Uh, which again is that that late 60s early 70s exploitation movement that started to happen in film both here and and I guess in Europe, but certainly was happening here, right? There's a ton of horror, ton of thrillers where I want to say needless rape, needless torture, where that started to become a thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was cool to see Lucio Fulci doing a different genre, but you could tell it was him, like mm. big time. It had a lot of his his signature, like really rubbery, flesh tearing close up shots and mm. like real close up shots of people being stabbed and like things like that. You know, the blood was super red, but interesting to see again, if you're like, I need to see everything that this guy does. Mask Your Time, I think is the better of the two. And to give four for the apocalypse credit, like it's fucking, it's a horror movie, but not quite, you know, it's, it's a, it's kind of like the hitcher. How about that? Like, I was gonna say like last house on the left, but yeah, but like a Western, yeah. it's kind of like the hitcher more where, where mm-hmm. like he keeps doing gnarly things, but they, they revel in showing you the net. Like he kidnaps a, like a sheriff and he ties him to a cactus and then like, like keeps pinning him with the star and it's really like graphic and mm. you're like uh, skinning a guy's like peeling his skin off which you know in a horror movie you're like okay but like this is not a horror movie right 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 but like this guy's a fucking monster and you know some people like it some people don't it to me it was just not pleasant it's like, sure, a, sure. It's like a saw movie where i'm like i could see why this is a thing do you think it had artistic value in, in terms of style not even not even it was very bleak and very direct So maybe like our listeners can check out the other movies that we're talking about. And if they still want more, this can be like the caboose on that. It's not not fun. Like when you're watching a Sabata and he's like, you know, Lee Van Cleefen all over the place with squinty eyes and shooting shit. And you're like, yeah, it's fun. Rumi wiggled his shoulders like, uh, come up and see me sometime (laughs) while making gun motions with his hands when he said Lee Van Cleefen all over the place. (laughs) Just so you guys know what's going on over here. But uh, that's the end of my list. I have a couple honorable mentions just to throw out there. Mm. There's Navajo Joe, which is about... That one is oft reference. Often reference, yeah. That one is a Sergio Carbucci, sole survivor of Bloody Massacre, vows revenge on his attackers and the men who killed his wife. That one's pretty cool. Kioma, uh, which is another Caesar Nero. And this is Enzo G. Castorari, and it's a half-breed Kioma. Again, I don't know if half-breed is the right term we're supposed to be using here. Uh, 
returns from his border hometown after service in the Civil War and finds it under the control of Caldwell, an ex-Confederate raider, and his vicious gang of thugs. To make matters worse, Kilma's three half-brothers have joined forces with the Cadwells and make it painfully clear that his return is unwelcome. Determined to break Caldwell and his brothers, grip on the town, Kilma partners with his father's former ranch hand to exact violent revenge. This movie is really violent. Lots of cool shootouts. We get to see Cesar Nero with a big gnarly beard. And then, uh, you ever want to see one of the the Beatles? In general? Yeah. Well, the Beatles, as in a cowboy movie, you have uh, Ringo Starr is in a movie called Blind Man, which is kind of fun because it's about a blind gunslinger and he's like the sidekick in it. Not bad. Pretty fun. But yeah, that's my that's my uh, spaghetti western tour, man. Was that fun? That was great. And there's still like, that's the thing is there's still a bunch on here. 600. I hit 20 of these movies. There are 600 of them. Yeah. And there were a lot of good ones too. Like 600, clearly they're not all great, but there's a lot of winners. There's a lot of, like we said, there's a bunch of different reasons to watch these, whether you're watching it for the action or you're watching it to see the stylistic nature of camera movements and stuff. There's really a lot to really take apart here. Like I know I'm telling you right now, I will end up buying Once Upon a Time in the West and rewatching it a couple times because I kind of watched it as a podcaster yesterday and I was thinking about what I was going to say for this. But I also need to see it once or two more times just to go over camera shots and uh, it's so friggin' cool. And we hit kind of the two big directors here, the two Sergios mm-hmm. and a little bit of Lucio Fulci, but like there are a lot of directors and a lot of great movies and a lot of fun ones and have different things. But dive into your own. Let us know what your favorite spaghetti westerns are. Hit us up on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Launchpad Pod and our website launchpadpod.com let us know what if there's any that we didn't hit which ones do you like are there any weird gems because that's the thing when 600 movies exist in a genre there's tons of gems that I wasn't aware of I had never heard of The Great Silence I couldn't have watched The Great Silence how could you hear of A Great Silence uh, <laughs> ah, it's silent yeah hit us up let us know Matt you want to do a countdown of yeah, oh, yeah for sure alright let's do it alright Launchpad Podcast back with your Spaghetti Western Pulp Culture Countdown. Matt, at number five, what do we have? We have The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. It's the most notable, I guess, in general. Pretty quintessential, Of the sure. Dollars trilogy and definitely is... I mean, it's quintessential. Yeah. It's it really. I think that trilogy set the stage for this audiences, our American audiences, for that. And like we talked about before, it's not my personal favorite, but I certainly understand why it's what it is, and I understand its importance. Maybe I'll have to give it another shot. I like a few dollars more better, but to me, the good, the bad, and the ugly is probably the most notable. And I think, like I said again, has probably some of the coolest scenes of a lot of spaghetti western. Really mm. well put together and just baller ass score. Wow. So at number four, we have Django. (laughs) Fucking love it. Again, baller ass song, really cool score, but a guy with a coffin with a Gatling gun in it. Come on. I mean, it's really cool. And it set off, you know, a bunch of sequels that maybe weren't interconnected and a Quentin Tarantino movie that got nominated for a bunch of Oscars. It's a, you know, the original one, Sears and Nero, Sergio Cabucci, really cool movie. And kicked off a lot of the revenge genre. Exactly. both Both in westerns and outside and if you're going to step outside of the uh, Sergio Leone ones I think this is a great place to start coming in at number three and I would have fought to put this higher but I think we have a good list here is Once Upon a Time in the West I fucking fell in love with this movie like I might watch it today it, it it's so cool we didn't even talk there's a big reveal at the end because there's a that's the other thing is a man of mystery is a big a big oh, trope always. throughout you this right? have the, the mysterious gunslinger your main character you don't a lot of times you don't know exactly what his deal is we obviously Some Sometimes you don't even know his name. <laughs> yeah. Harmonica is a man of mystery at the end. You like, and it, it's funny because they call attention to it numerous times. The bad guy, Henry Fonda, keeps saying, who are you? And he says, you'll know at the end. Yeah. And at the end, you find out. And it's, it's, cool. 
It's fucking great. I love this movie. I think it walks a really great line of giving great action with really stylistic filmmaking techniques to really, really just make this movie a piece of art. I, I can't say enough about it. And and you, you thought the name was generic. I think the name basically created the names of like 20 other movies once upon a time in the something something. It's a classic, really big classic and really epic too. And I think one of one of Sergio Leone's best Westerns for sure. Coming in at number two, we have The Great Silence. I put this up so high because it is so fucking unique. A Western that takes place all at the winter. There's two feet of snow on the ground the entire movie or shaving cream, depending on where you are. It's so different because it's so depressing. It's so bleak. It's really unlike anything you've ever seen. And if you're looking for just a completely different Western, that's also just a damn good movie. The Great Silence can't be beat. And Klaus Kinski is an incredible actor. And he's in a bunch of Westerns. But this one is, to me, particularly cool. No, no pun intended because yeah, it's it was like <laughs> So number one, Matt, what do we have? Number one, we have a movie that without which none of these would happen. One of my favorite Westerns, Yojimbo yeah, by Akira no. Kurosawa, 1961. <laughs> if they hadn't ripped him off, we wouldn't even have this genre. It's funny because we put that as a joke, but it's kind of also not a joke. Like, yeah. And we talked in our last Cowboy episode about how closely linked samurai films are with Westerns. Mm-hmm. Here is a direct fucking concrete bridge between the two. And this isn't also this isn't the only time that this movie has been remade. Oh, for sure. Almost exactly. And we will talk about it in our third western series how Bruce Willis remakes this movie later on in Last Man Standing. But yo Jimbo, without it, you have you you have a gunslinging samurai. You cannot make the spaghetti western if you don't start with a Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. And you might think that's a cop out for a number one at the list, but I think it fits because otherwise it's yeah, we said it dollars. as a joke yeah. at first, but like it actually I think it actually works. It actually makes sense because the samurai movies led way to the cowboy movies, which led way to spaghetti westerns. And like I said, it's my favorite genre, but it started with a little bit of a ripoff. And uh, I think it's perfectly fitting for, for the genre. So that's it, Matt. Let's blast this thing off. Yeehaw! Yeehaw! Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running.
sun.